one of the things that I've learned about contracts is that having a strong contract is only half the battle. You also have to make sure that you're putting communication layers in place at the very outset so that those expectations are set from the beginning so that you're you're spending less time dealing with scope creep as it props up and more time nibbing it at the bud and letting people know at the outset, here's what things are going to look like. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 659. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your... Oh my goodness. See, Joey, I told you. I have bloopers. I can't remember my own show name. I This one is getting left in. This is your host, Kim Sutton. I do remember my name. I This has been a good day up until that point. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but um, I, I think I'm just so excited about the content of today's show. Listeners, if this is your first episode, please know this is not the typical, but it's not very far off. Positive productivity is not about perfection, but it certainly doesn't have to be painful either. Our host, our guest, holy goodness, I, that one's coming out. Our Maybe guest, I can be the co-host today. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, now we're just going to leave that in. Our co-host today is Joey Vitelli. from from indie law a trademark attorney and all types of other great stuff and i just knew it was a conversation that we needed to have him and i but also you need to hear it my listener because you probably need to be trademarking protecting all of your brand assets that are possible to be protected, which I don't even know what we should be protecting and what we should not be protecting. So I'm going to throw the mic over to my honorary guest co-host, Joey. Well, Kim, thanks so much for having me. And I just want to start out by saying, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, I did not really want to listen to an attorney talk about stuff for as long as this conversation goes, I hear you. um, And my goal for the rest of this chat is to make it as conversational and fun and helpful as all of the other episodes that you've listened to. Um, if this is your first listen, um, I'm going to do everything that I can to not put you to sleep with all of this stuff because um, I actually think the legal side is super interesting if you get over the legalese side of it. And it allows, I think, it, 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 the cool thing about being a lawyer and a business owner is that um, I get to talk about what I do and really just dive into those big questions. Um, Something that I've learned about myself is that um, I'm not a huge fan of small talk. um, And I love that these types of conversations allow me to just get deep really quickly um, with points that I think business owners need to hear. I cannot stand small talk either. Do you find that you do what do you do when somebody is trying to do small, small talk with you? It, it really depends on the setting. Um, but if, if it's in a, a good setting and I feel like, you know, it's a conversation or it's a person that I, I do want to meet with and get on a deep level with, um, I, I tend to just kind of go 
there quickly with people. I was I met someone at a conference recently. I was kind of in a group setting with them, and they were like, "So, where are you from? Do you have any kids or pets?" And I was like, "Here's my answers to those questions." But like, where do you want to be in ten years? What's the point of your business? And they were like, "Oh, I don't even know." And I was like, well, "Let's talk about it." And I I think that you and I might be weirdos, Kim, and that like we we don't really love the small talk, but I think that small business owners are kind of our people. Yes. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Uh, the way that I look at it, I, I believe that I'm more of an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, I would much rather find some people and have a really deep conversation with them in the corner of a room mm-hmm. than be the center of attention. So I was at a conference in October. It was she podcasts. I don't want to timestamp this, but I know they're going to do another one. So depending on when you're listening, Mm. look it up. She podcasts if you're a female, but they had an introvert extrovert party, which I thought was the best thing. It was about eight o'clock at night and they had trays of cookies and glasses of milk. And in the extrovert ballroom, they had loud music, people playing or, you know, people dancing, doing karaoke. And I'm not saying that introverts don't like to to dance or do karaoke. Don't get me wrong. But I, that was just way too much. I loved to just sit down and there's a guy like a security guard blocking. We were at the um, Marriott Marquis in downtown Atlanta, which is huge. If you've never been there is ginormous. They filmed one of the hunger games movies there. Oh, cool. Which coincidentally, I watched when I got home, not knowing that it had been filmed there. And I was like, Wait, I was just on that elevator. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Yeah, I had to run out and tell my kids because they're even bigger fans than I am. But anyway, so the security guard is blocking it, and I was like, "Hey, you want? Do you want a cookie or a glass of milk?" He's like, "No, no, no, I can't." And then I went and sat down next to somebody. There were no chairs, so I just sat down on the floor. And because I had offered the guy cookies and a glass of milk he brought me a chair to sit on so i could sit and have a conversation with this lady at eye level yeah i i love that but that is exactly what i would like to do is just you know go to a quiet corner and dive in and i'm gonna have to totally borrow that where would you like to be in 10 years because i'm going to another even bigger podcast conference in two weeks two thousand people joey like i'm i'm not scared to talk because I'm speaking there. I'm not scared to talk, but being in a big party with 2000 people. Yeah. You know, um, our mutual friend, Molly Mahoney once shared with me a story of, she was at a networking event and someone that she um, met was like, just came up to her and said, Hey, do you want to have small talk or big talk? And Molly was like, big talk. And then they had a really great conversation. And so I think especially at, at you know a, an event where online business owners are, I think that's a really great icebreaker question. I absolutely love that. Yeah, me too. So how do you decide law? And I just got to, I'm asking that because my mother always told me growing up, you should either be a doctor or a lawyer or marry a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. So that's exactly what my parents told me. And so when I was about to graduate college, undergrad, and still didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, they 
really encouraged me to take the LSAT and see, it, uh, you know, if I could get into law school because they kind of saw that as almost like a a thing you could do if you still didn't know what to do after college um, and be safe. And, and there was this idea that, you know, you can really do anything with a law degree, which isn't as true as it used to be. But I definitely went to law school um, thinking that, you know, I, I don't really know what else I could do. So let's give this a shot. Wow. I think you're the first person I've ever heard say that. Really? Yeah. Because usually, I mean, I thought about law because I thought I could argue really well, but it turned out I wasn't really very good at arguing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's an interesting point that you raised because I learned very quickly after I said yes to law school that um, I probably should not have gone. Um, I learned very quickly that I do not fit well with the, I was like the black sheep in my law school Mm -hmm. class. Um, I hate arguing. I don't like conflict. Yeah, me neither. Which makes being a small business owner sometimes very difficult. Yep. Because when those, when I have clients who are scope creeping, it, it's so difficult for me to say, oh, hold on, um, that's outside the terms of our contract. And I, I have tended, and I'm in this year especially, I'm being really good about not saying yes. But I have tended yeah. in the past to just keep on saying yes, and then I'm absolutely exhausted. Oh, I love that we're already diving into this in like a very just kind of natural way because I, for the longest time, let me back up here, um, just to kind of close the circle on this story. So I went to law school, realized pretty quickly that I wasn't meant to be a litigator, and then luckily found this group of, of small business owners that needed an attorney to be more proactive. And one of the things that I've, I've realized recently is that I've told myself for so long that I don't like conflict, but really I just I like resolving conflict in an effective way. And one of the things that I've learned about contracts is that having a strong contract is only half the battle. You also have to make sure that you're putting communication layers in place at the very outset so that those expectations are set from the beginning so that you're you're spending less time dealing with scope creep as it props up and more time nibbing it at the bud and letting people know at the outset here's what things are going to look like. Is there any effective way that I can put into my contract that if they text me at two o'clock in the morning, my time, they're going to get an additional fee assessed? Yeah, you you can put whatever you want in the contract. Because, oh my gosh, thankfully, I've finally learned to turn my do not disturb on, but I woke up to two o'clock and 3 a.m. text messages this morning. So here here's the thing. Um, I've found that... W- one of the reasons why I think that the way that contract work is broken right now, I think a lot of lawyers are um, talking about the importance of contracts and contracts are important, but everybody talks about it from a space of how can you, the business owner, stay protected? And I think if we flip the script on that and we say, no, how can I write this contract so that it's helping my clients as much as possible? Mm-hmm. A lot of those problems just go away. Because Absolutely. if you're if you're thinking about these scope creep problems or somebody texting you in the morning, 
yeah, that we don't want that because as business owners, we should be respecting boundaries, but also like your other clients aren't helped as much when you're spread so thin. And so, yes, these are helping you, but they're also helping you help all of your clients. And, and so we have a policy with our law firm, for example, where all of our clients after they sign up with us can schedule a call with me if they have any questions or concerns. But before they book that call, they have to let me know what the questions are ahead of time. And some of my clients don't like hearing that because they're like, I just want to hop on the phone with you. It'll just take a couple of minutes. And I'm like, well, if you can't take the time to think through what your questions are right now and write them up and send them to me, then you're probably not thinking super clearly about what your questions even are. Mm. And I, in terms of me booking a call with me, I can provide a much better response during the call if I know what your questions are ahead of time. So I have time to think about them. Um, And I would say 95% of the time we end up not even needing a call because I can respond in writing to whatever their concern was and everything's resolved. And eliminate the small talk. Yep. Yep. So I had a really interesting Twitter conversation which I think is so funny with Laura Roeder, the founder of me, Edgar a couple of weeks ago. Oh, cool. She was looking for a couple beta users because she's launching a new program. Um, I don't know how much it, it, I'll tell you what she said in her public tweet. It's a scheduling and invoicing app for co- um, coaches and consultants and service providers, mm. which I already know of enough schedulers and I already know of an invoicing app, but I was curious. So we had a little conversation and basically it allows you to limit the number of phone calls that clients get and it keeps track of when they had their calls. And at first I was thinking, you know, this isn't really going to work for me because I build funnels for clients. And if I'm limiting the number of calls that they have, then I'm going to be doing some of them a disservice because they always have questions, but then I was thinking um, I'm doing them a disservice by not limiting the number of calls they have because then they take forever to get their stuff done. Right. And they're taking my time. And some of these people, I love my clients. I really do. But come on, you, you've repeated the same conversation 20 times already and you still haven't taken any action. You're not getting that next call until you do what we already discussed you're going to do. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that there's, um, with, with businesses, with small business becoming an even more saturated space, um, I think that there is this assumption that having a successful business is just finding the right list of resources and mentors and coaches and having them do work for you. And the reality is, especially with, if you're working with some type of a service provider like yourself, Kim, when you start that relationship, it's important for both sides to be in integrity. And when I work with any type of a, of a consultant, I know that part a huge part of it is actually them helping hold me accountable to get work done so that they can do their job. Absolutely. I mean, our, going back to our mutual connection, Molly Mahoney, I mean, I don't know that you've done this, but I know she has a team that will build out Facebook Messenger bots, but they're not the legal geniuses that you are. 
So how do they know what script to be putting from your messenger bot unless you provide them the linguese, the right. li- whatever it's called, the the jargon? Give me a word here, Joey. Whatever they're supposed to say. And, yeah, the and that's, yes, because um, that's exactly what I need to tell my people. Look, and especially for some that are a little bit more spiritual and not in the religious way that I am, but I have I have healers that I work with, like crystal they work with crystals and chakras and all that i think it's fascinating but i can't tell you the difference between one chakra and another so you right. gotta write that info for me people right right yeah okay so going back let's you went to law school you found this group and and now you're here is in your own law firm yeah. So I never thought that I would run my own law firm, let alone my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I realized that there was this only entrepreneur community, I decided that I would do whatever it takes to be able to work with them because I just loved working with these online entrepreneurs. And um, so I, uh, news alert, a lot of what I actually do, I didn't learn in law school. And so I had to learn a lot about the law that I was then going back and, and serving my clients with. And about the first year of my business was, was me doing that. It was, it was learning the legal side to this stuff and then giving business owners what they needed. And about a year after that, about a year after I started my law firm, I started realizing that there was a huge difference between what the law says businesses need and what practically businesses need to scale and grow. Can you expand on that? And by the way, of everything that I learned in college, the only thing that I'm really using now is social skills. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? But I also went to art school in your back, in your, uh, in your backyard, by the way, I went to the school of the art Institute of Chicago. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I I feel like a lot of the, um, you know, I had a pretty soft undergraduate degree um, in, I had a kind of a weird major program that I was in that combined philosophy, history, politics, English, all into one program. And so a lot of those soft skills and just learning how to think have been really helpful, but I don't really remember a lot of what I actually took tests on. Um, but the the main thing that I learned in terms of working with so many online entrepreneurs, and, and I know you know this because you hit on this earlier, Kim, with like, we, we we're so afraid of getting stuff wrong and we, we really want to make sure that we are as much as possible being perfect in our business. And if we're not careful, the legal side of things will slow you down. Hmm. And so, do you mean that's what they're afraid of? A lot of I'm seeing a lot of business owners, they're being so risk averse that they're not taking the action Ooh. that they need to grow and scale their businesses. I see that. They're paralyzed by needing perfection. Yep. And yeah. so we have a, you know, I kind of feel like for the most part, the stuff that businesses should do falls into kind of two groups. One is the kind of one time and you're done stuff, like getting an LLC, getting your kind of basic contracts, like a privacy policy, your client contract, your terms of use in place, those types of things that 
you can do it on your own or you can invest and get it done quickly. But once you're done, it's there. Yep. And then there's a whole side of the intellectual property of as your as your businesses grows your from your brand to your copyrighted content checking back on it on a regular basis at least yearly and saying what have i created or what am i working on that i want to protect and make sure that um i'm just locking in my rights as i'm building the business so that in the future i don't get blindsided by a cease and desist letter that makes me unable to use this mm-hmm. Can we touch on the LLC before we go into all of the protecting our assets? Yep. I did not have one for the longest time. And then I finally established positive productivity as an LLC in 2018. Mm. Now I am, I'm working with an attorney on his funnel and he noticed that in the footer of my own website, which is not positiveproductivity.com or net, it's the Kim Sutton.com that I had Kim Sutton down down there. And he said to me, what's your LLC? And I said, positive productivity. He's like, you got to change that because it said, um, I had it copyrighted to my name. He said, mm. that that's not good. That puts you, that makes you liable instead of your yep. LLC. Can you talk about that for a moment? Because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's doing, who was doing that. Yeah. So, um, when, let me, let me step back. I don't actually think that all business owners should get an LLC. That's good to know. Why, um, why not? I don't believe that dabblers need an LLC. Mm. Because at the end of the day, if you're not growing and building a business that you... Let me step back. Uh, I, I talk all the time with business owners who are like, how can I build my business um, but never deal with a failed payment? <laughs> and I'm like, you can't. And so if you want to build a a business with super, super warm leads that already know, like, and trust the heck out of you, and they'll always make sure that they are paying you, you're probably not going to grow and scale that business very much. And so it's a better business strategy to say, okay, I need a plan for dealing with failed payments versus I want to build a business where that never, ever happens. Right. Yeah. If you want to build a business where that never happens, it sounds like eBay sell stuff on eBay. Yeah. So if you're, and and I I don't mean to be judgy on a business. If you're still in, if you're just in a place where you're, it's more of a hobby for you, or you've got, you know, very low sales goals for it, then you're probably not going to expose the business and its assets enough for you to ever need to rely on an LLC, like in a courtroom. Um, But when you do form an LLC, what you're doing is you're creating a completely new legal entity that is separate from you personally. And you've probably heard business experts say, don't commingle your funds. You know, make sure that you're paying for the business out of your business account. Uh Well, having, going back to your example, having the, the copyright at the bottom of your email go to you personally versus the business that you set up. It's you're kind of commingling your legal assets mm. instead instead of just commingling funds. And so, to the extent that you have an LLC, you want as much as possible that what you're doing in your business to be going from that LLC, not you personally. So, um, this shows up in interesting ways. But 
I primarily do trademark work because that so many business owners are behind when it comes to trademarks. And we, a lot of times we work with people who they realize they need trademarks at a similar moment when they realize that they want to form an LLC. And sometimes they ask us, what should we do first, an LLC or a trademark? And I love that question because it's one of the few times where I, I can't just say it depends. That's the, the usual legal answer that a lot of lawyers fall back on. But with this one, I do have a clear answer. I always recommend forming the LLC first. Because if you don't form the LLC first and you get the trademark owned in your personal name, when you later form the LLC, again, that creates a new status, a new entity, and your trademark doesn't automatically get owned by the LLC. Mm, and it so it has to be transferred over or something. It has yeah. to be transferred. And a lot of people, they're like, oh, that's just kind of me amending the application so that my LLC owns it. You know, what's legally happening there is you are having an agreement between yourself as an individual as and yourself as the owner of the LLC saying, I am assigning the rights to this trademark from me individually to this business that I just happen to own. Hmm. I never really thought about that. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Um, and I just wanted to raise that example because it really kind of highlights the you know, a lot of people think, you know, I run my business and whether it's from me personally or an LLC, it still feels like I'm just running the business. And legally, it it is a a very different layer. And for so many of our clients where we have helped them get an LLC, they're like, you know what, I thought that this would just be filing a piece of paper and getting some legal work done. But I'm showing up differently in business because now I know this is a legit business that I'm the owner of. And it's not just me flying by the seat of my pants, uh, where really the business is me. Absolutely. So I ended up getting mine after I got sued. The case was thrown out, Alex. Oh, geez. I got sued because um, I refused to take a bought, um, a purchased list of emails and put them into somebody's CRM. Because, well, number one, that person lives in Canada. In that, I mean... <sighs> I don't care where you are. It's not kosher. You you can't mm. buy emails and just stick them in there without their permission. Right. And that's actually finable. Not from my understanding, not just to the business owner, but to the person who did it. So I said no. And they ended up suing me because they said I impacted their launch. Oh, jeez. Because I wouldn't do it. And they're in Canada where can spam i mean you have to put right on your opt-in forms what they're signing up for so yep. to, when they tried to sue me out of canada all i had to say is this is a violation of your own country's laws yep. out went the case but i was like wait a second i need to protect myself because that came at me personally yeah i've got a house i've got a family i can't have that you know strip away all my personal belongings <sighs> if it had actually gone through I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that happen to you. Um, And I'm I'm sure there are listeners who are hearing that and being like, Kim, that sucks. But how likely would that happen to me? And one of the first things I learned when I said yes to, you know, being a, a lawyer for these business owners is 
that most businesses that are around for over a decade are on the receiving end of some type of a lawsuit in their lifetime. Uh Or a cease and desist of some kind. Yep. 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 And you're right. If you don't have that LLC protection, your brain just goes into an overthinking spot that, you know, could have been avoided. Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the Work Smarter, Not Harder Challenge. Over the course of 30 days, these free, yes, free, short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Here's another funny example, but I wasn't sued, but this goes into the trademarking. So I was an Infusionsoft certified partner for four years, five years. And one of my clients nicknamed me Kim Fusionsoft. He said I took the Confusionsoft out of Infusionsoft and nicknamed me Kim Fusionsoft. So um, a mentor heard about it. Cliff Ravenscraft heard about it and said, oh, you totally need to make a landing page for that and sell Kim Fusionsoft Mm. services. So I did. (laughs) And then Infusionsoft came back to me with a cease and desist saying uh, that's infringing on our trademark. Yeah. It's down. And also I had confusion soft all over my my verbiage. And I was just trying to say, hey, I can help you take the confusion out. But nope, mm. take it down, take it down. Because they actually trademarked confusion soft so that people couldn't use it. Mm. So this so this gets to the heart of trademarks. And again, this is what my my law firm really focuses on. Um because so many business owners are starting a business, not just having a their business name, but they've got a slogan, like you, you have um, the name of a podcast, uh, maybe a book that they're writing. And we name a lot of things in business. And so many business owners we saw make the mistake of coming up with a couple of thing, uh, naming options and then running with something before thinking about the trademark side of things. And um the you mentioned how you had to to change not just the landing page but so many references to that um we've heard so many horror stories specifically of people in like the podcast space who they were like you know what someone sent me a cease and desist letter on my the name of my my podcast and so not only did I have to change the podcast name change the cover photo I had to go back to all of my past guests and ask for them to update the name and the uh, the cover photo and everything on all of their different blogs. And really, the, yep. And so it, it's becoming a um, it's becoming much more expensive and more likely that you'll run into some trademark issue. And so we're doing what we can right now to help business owners proactively say, okay, what are you wanting to name in your business, and how can we think about the the trademark naming rights before you build too many assets around it. Okay. But Joey, like for example, positive productivity, I've been around since 2016 doing this podcast. I formed the LLC in 2018. I, I don't even know if I want to say this, but 
listeners, you know, I'm very transparent. I haven't trademarked positive productivity, but I know there's also, um, is regulations, stipulations, rules about what you can make a trademark out of. I mean, you can't just slap two words together and decide that you're going to trademark it. So would I even be able to trademark positive productivity? So here's where I get super like nerdy on all of this just because I think it's so fascinating. So you said that you haven't trademarked this yet, right? I Yeah, but um, I'm sure you can correct me. I mean, I haven't put TM behind positive productivity. Yeah. So the question is, what does it mean to trademark something? Yeah. What does it mean to trademark something, Joy? (laughs) A lot of people, because we use these phrases of, oh, I have to get this trademarked or I haven't trademarked yet. People think that you get trademark rights by filing something and having it be accepted by the government. And there is a process like that, but you don't get trademark rights through that trademark registration process. The way that trademark laws work is just by using a word or phrase as a trademark in your business, you automatically get common law trademark rights to it. Hmm. And those automatic common law rights, the great thing about it is that those are automatic. You don't have to file anything to technically be trademarked. The downside is that those, that trademark right that you get, it's only giving you exclusive rights to your trademark in your geographic region. So within your, usually smaller than a state, but a little bit bigger than your city, um, you have rights within that area to be the only one with that name. I was wondering because, I mean, in the phone book, you can look up and open up the A page. Okay, yes, my small town still delivers a very small yellow pages. Yep. But there's like AAA auto repair. But I know growing up in New York, there was AAA auto repair, you know? And it it was always just really interesting to me that they could have the same and I know that's different too that's different from trademarking that's registering the name of the country within the state or the company within the state which is a completely different ball of wax but yeah Hmm, that's really interesting though but what it what is it though I mean can you so you're like Joey if if I get those rights why would I file for anything or what's the point of filing thank you for being such a great co-host of course so The great thing about filing for a trademark is that when you get, if you file for a trademark application at the federal level and the government accepts it, then those common law weak rights that you have get amplified so that you now have exclusive rights nationwide, not just to that name, but to anything that's confusingly similar to it. Hmm. But can people trademark their names? Yep. You like can their personal anything. their yep. personal names? Yep. Yep. I'm I'm over here laughing. There's a there's a math teacher who gets who I'm constantly competing with on Google for top rank <laughs> spots. <laughs> and I get Google notifications all the time about her stuff going up and not mine. Not that I would do it. I'm not about to go trademark Kim Sutton. <laughs> I would love to be able to control the use of Kim Sutton on the internet. 
Yeah, you totally can. As long as you're using your name as a trademark, which is another ball of wax that we can get into. Um, but the I, I like to think of it as um, being born and birth certificates. Um, you're born regardless of having a birth certificate. Like that's undeniable. But the information around your birth and the evidence of all of those different pieces of information is included in the birth certificate. And so what a trademark registration does is it doesn't give you rights. It is proof that you own what you say you own. And so let's say that, you know, you saw some other person who kind of does what you do create a podcast that is similar to your name. You technically could send them a cease and desist letter and say, hey, I own this. You don't. So back off and give it to me. But if you don't have any evidence, then you can't really, it becomes very hard and expensive for you to prove your point in court, which means that you you don't really have any bargaining chips when you send that cease and desist letter. And so when you go through the trouble of having your trademarks registered, then you can go to them and say, hey, I'm citing these registration numbers to show that I actually own this. And by the way, third-party platforms love these registration numbers. So if you don't change this, then I will report your podcast to iTunes, cite this registration number, and they will take your entire podcast down. Mm. Yeah, I've heard of like, hosting providers taking down courses when people basically rip them off yep, and use the same names. Hello. I mean, I, I can't imagine number one, ripping off somebody else's course when they put that much time into it, but using the same name, like I just want to say McFly. Right. <laughs> right? And the, the hard thing about trademarks is too, that, you know, it's very possible that somebody else could, without even knowing that you exist, come up with a similar name. So what can you do about that? Because I've heard about that happening. I know that if there's a similar name, but it's in a different industry, then you're okay. Is that true? Kind of. It's less about industry and it's more about um, a likelihood of confusion. So is it po- trademarks are really less about protecting business owners and they're more about protecting the public because the point of trademarks is, you know, we don't want somebody who is a huge Starbucks fan to see a new coffee shop called Arbucks and just assume that they're going to get the same type of coffee quality when they walk in. Mm. And so the trademark office, especially as they're getting to know business owner, online business owners who not just sell online courses, but also maybe have a book that they sell or they're in the podcast space, they're starting to say, okay, if if you are a if you're creating content around like for for example with me, let's say that I have a course on trademarks, which I do, and there's some other business owner who talks about naming strategy in their business and how to come up with a great name for your business, regardless of the legal side. The trademark office would probably respect my argument if I said, they might be talking about naming strategy and I might be talking about trademarks, but the customer who's looking at these two programs, if the names are too similar, might think that I'm behind both of these. 
And so it's a pretty gray test. And the reason why we are recommending trademarks so proactively is because you might run a, there was a way to search for the trademark database to see what's taken, but that search that you run has an immediate expiration date. And we've seen so many business owners come up with a name for their course or their podcast. They, they search for it and they find that nobody else has taken it yet. But then a, a year later or a month later, somebody else creates something and they file for a trademark. And even though you were actually the first person to use it, now it's become a lot more expensive for you to argue and prove that you are actually the first to use. Mm. For anybody who's like, whoa, Joey, these are all interesting things. Um, Thanks for sticking with us. I do have a a training that uh, walks through this in a little bit more logical of a way. So if you want to walk through kind of all of this with me in a way that might be a little bit easier to follow, I'd be happy to share that with you guys. Yeah, let's for sure make sure that that is in the show notes, which by the way, listeners, I want to hear what ahas you have had so far. So be sure to jump over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP659 and leave your ahas down in the comments. By the way, somebody got kimsutton.com isn't even using it. (laughs) But on that note, if I trademarked, no, if I got the LLC for positive productivity, but I'm not putting it on if I'm building the company basically on my domain because that's where all the traffic's going. Is that a problem? Potentially. Um, the thing about the reason why kind of the LL, you, you mentioned earlier that when you name your company and you get that LLC set up, um, that's really different than owning the trademark. Mm-hmm. The reason why the, the name of an LLC and, the, and the, whatever trademarks you file for are, are so different is because the LLC name is technically kind of like an under the hood name that you're using. So, um, and I, I, I forget the, I want to use an example, but I forget the actual details here. But let's say, for instance, that like, you know, you're a huge fan of Snickers. And I forget what company owns Snickers. But even if you know like the brand that owns Snickers, their corporation name might be something like super, super formal sounding. And they're only using that corporation name on stuff like letterhead and with their bank. And that's the name that they're kind of using more internally and professionally, but it's not really consumer facing. A trademark is a consumer facing brand. Mm. So it sounds like I might have to trademark my name. So maybe the, What I like to tell people in terms of when they're wondering, should I trademark this or not, is um, does it, would it pass the rebrand test? Meaning if for some reason you were told right now that you couldn't use this, would it cost a lot of your time and money to have to rebrand it right now? And if so, then it's probably worth proactively securing the trademark right now. Oh, please listeners. Love me enough that you don't go trademark positive productivity before this mm. episode goes out live. Um, I'm a little bit scared now. I I want to go. I want to jump over to something else really fast. I'm thinking about Nike. Is Nike the Just Do It company? Yep. Yep. Where do trademarks fall in there? Because what what is Just Do It? Is that a trademark? I mean, or how? Do, yeah. Just do so- they, they protect that too, right? So the the interesting thing about trademarks is a trademark 
can really be anything. A trademark is a source identifier of a brand, meaning that when you observe that trademark, you think of a particular business. So when you hear the word Nike or let's do it, or you see the swoosh logo, you automatically think of that particular company. Mm. And, and so other competitors can't use that in selling their own stuff. Um, the interesting thing about that is that if, if anything can be a trademark, then how far can you really take that? And some businesses are taking it pretty far. So um, colors can be trademarked. So like Tiffany blue is a trademarked color really? that brands can't use. Um, a, a smell can even be a trademark. So Verizon right now is working on filing for a certain scent as a trademark, which is going to be a smell in all of their stores so that when you walk in, it smells like Verizon. I don't even know what to say about that. My my son and I, though, would love if Lowe's, like the home improvement store, mm-hmm. we love the smell of home improvement stores. I don't know. Maybe. That, maybe. Listeners, um, I'm just curious. If you love like the, the smell of a home improvement store, just let us know. But the MGM Roar audio recording is trademarked. I can see that. Yep. And so you know, usually for us online business owners, it's just kind of like the the name, the name of our course, podcast name, maybe like a signature method that you talk about in your training or in like a free webinar. Um, the The things that make people buy you instead of a competitor, I like to think of it as like, if you walk down the cereal aisle at a grocery store and you decide to grab whatever cereal you want versus all the other brands and knockoffs, the, the, your trademark is like the packaging. You got me thinking about being a lot more mindful before I about talking about the names of products before they yeah. go out in the future. Now, I, I I did have a client who was also a trademark attorney, and what she mentioned to me was that a lot of people go overseas to file to to get less expensive trademark filing but then they run into a lot of issues because the overseas people don't necessarily know about all the stipulations here it never goes where it's supposed to what words of caution do you have there please so um trademarks are an interesting part of the law because a lot of people and you know this isn't just the law right now in business whenever you want something you think that like oh there's probably a template or a resource that can have me just get it and when you're just starting in business you can kind of go down that route for like an llc or a contract template things like that they're just kind of holes that you can fill with something but the trademark process is complicated and so what i recommend if you're wanting to protect certain trademarks in your business is either to invest in a trademark attorney that you know, like, and trust where you're not just going to get the result that you want, but the journey of getting that trademark will be easy and low effort for you. And you'll feel confident that it's going to be successful. Because I can't tell you how many people have come back to me saying, I wish that I would have hired you. Mm-hmm. And be, I hired a cheaper option. Um, and maybe I even got the trademark. But it was confusing. I 
didn't know what was happening. It was it took me forever to get on the phone with them. And the whole process of it, you know, it took a lot of my time and my peace of mind. And I would much rather have paid more for it to be a smooth process. The other thing is that you might not need to hire an attorney. Um, I actually have a program that walks you through my signature method for understanding trademarks so that in about three hours, you can have the clarity and the confidence that you need to file for your for it on your own. That's amazing. And listeners, I just want to let you know, I am, please do not go searching for overseas because just the horror stories that I heard, like I, I don't, when I was hearing what was happening to some of this woman's clients because they they wanted the cheaper option. You get what you pay for yeah, very often. You you know, if if you haven't yet been burned by that lesson yet, you will. You will, um, yeah. And the scary thing about the law, though, is that it comes, you know, whether it's law or taxes, you know, those types of governmental things, um, we don't want to mess up on. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, one of my biggest investments early on was in a bookkeeper and tax professional that I knew that I could trust. Um, And I paid more for it, but I was like, you know what, I would rather pay more and just know that it's being taken care of versus trying to save money here. And, and that, and that piece of mind was a huge ROI because I got my time back. That must just be the theme of the day. Cause I was actually just talking this morning about that. This past tax year is the first year where I've done it, quote, right. And I had the proper system set up because every tax year prior in my business, and I'm talking seven years, Joey, I was manually one by one inputting my expenditures (sighs) from contractors to all those monthly subscriptions. I mean, and I'm just going to throw out a number there. In the last year, I've spent like $60,000 on on business expenses. And when you're talking about anywhere between $20 and $300 a month on some of these subscription products, and then there's contractors in there, that's a lot of manual line items. Yep. (laughs) But when when I realized making a small investment to take care of all that for me, in retrospect, oh, it's paid off in so many ways. Yeah. So so I don't want to run into that in trademarking and anything legal either. Yeah. I've, I found it's really helpful to think about my time as a business owner and what I'm doing with that time. And I think business owners are either in one or of two categories. You either know the levers that you can pull on in your business that will bring in sales and revenue, or you don't yet. And so you need to be spending your time either pulling those levers that you've identified or figuring out what those levers are. And working on your books is not that. No, I'd rather be writing my book than working on my books. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So where can people go to find out more about your course? And yes, listeners, I already promised you this will be in the show notes, which you can find again at duncansutton.com forward slash PP659. But where is that, Joey? Where can they go? So you can go to joeycvitali.com, my name.com slash training. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Okay. So please do not let your 
trademark be the vein of your existence or the lack of your trademark be the vein of your business and your existence and go check that out. But Joey, thank you so much. Where else can listeners find you online and connect with you? Oh, well, thank you. Um, I'm hanging out more on Instagram these days. If you want to follow me there at Joey C. Vitale. Um, I also put out some amazing videos, uh, both in terms of legal tips, but also interviews with other guest experts. Um, on my Facebook page at Indie Law. So that's I-N-D-I-E-L-A-W. So feel free to check that out. Comment any comment under any videos that you, you know, would like even more clarification on. We're always putting out more videos um, depending on what our clients need because we we know that people have questions in general in business, but it can be particularly intimidating to say that you have a legal question or that you don't know all of the answers already when it comes to the legal side of things. And so um, as much as possible, whenever people do let us know what their questions are, we want to return the favor and create content around those concerns. Mm, absolutely love that. And that's how, that's how I'm finding that I get the most traffic too. Yeah. Responding to questions. Amazing. Joy, I, I just want to thank you times 20,000 because it just occurred <laughs> to me that in the future, I don't want to call guests guests. They're going to be co-hosts because it's a, if, if every guest was a co-host, I think the, the episodes would just always be conversational. Mm. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Listeners again, one more time, let us know what your big aha was. I'm going to spit it out one more time for you in case you were busy driving or don't want to fall off the elliptical, thekimsutton.com forward slash PP659. But Joey, could you leave me and us with a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget? Mm. Well, first of all, Kim, thanks again for having me on. It was such a blast and an honor to be here. Um, I think when it comes to legal questions or any questions in business, um, you can either ask the question from a mindset of a dabbler and somebody who's trying to be super perfectionist or a growing business owner. And some people will ask me, Joey, do I need this? Do I need a trademark? Do I need an LLC? And if you're, if you have the mindset of a growing, thriving business, then the question transforms to, I know that my success is so inevitable that I need an LLC or a trademark or whatever it is. So here's my follow-up question. And that allows you to have not just lawyers, but any business expert help you at a much higher level than asking those like, do I really need the, this type of question? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.